Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast, brought to you by New Balance of Edmond, featuring Keegan Renault from SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today, and Brady Trantham. Hello, Brady. Bob Stoops here. Appreciate the great Sooner fan that you are and have been for all these years. Boomer Sooner. put his laptop on do not disturb because like jessica's messages came across and i was just like i do not want to that's really yeah no that's a good like, point i don't start recording yeah yeah you're, like, you're recording yeah, right now yeah oh, okay like, i don't, I don't want to be involved in whatever pumpkin carving means oh right no you want to go pumpkin carving saturday i i don't care i i'm out yeah oh have i so i said this on saturday night so this was a, a good a good joke and i always would be like hey Brady, why don't we record the podcast later tonight? Like, that's a great time in the evening. No big deal. And Brady would always go, man, I got to drive over to my girlfriend's. And I'm like, like it can't be that far away. Like, oh, there's no way. Yeah. And then, so obviously we have the Saturday night. Everybody that listened to the Tuesday podcast knows that we had Brady's surprise little birthday party Saturday night. And I get out there and I go, man, God, this is way out here. Like, you, I, like it says that it's an Oklahoma City address, and it's right. like it's forty minutes from Edmond. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Going on right now? But yeah, no, uh, it's uh, well, I guess th- guess this is where we'll start out. This is the Thursday edition of the Inside OU podcast, the TCU preview. We are live here from Vanessa House Beer Company here in Oklahoma City. This will be where Brady and I record the Thursday editions of podcasts moving forward. Uh, the preview podcast, those are the Vanessa House Beer Company located at 118 Northwest 8th Street here in Oklahoma City. We do not have Brady Trantham here today. He is, I don't want to say... He's dead. <sighs> I, I'll say it. He's dead. He's dead and gone. He's, because he's not in quarantine. Right. But he's not in isolation either. He's just kind of so waiting. What had, what had happened was, uh, for those of you that are that have followed the Sooners closely this season, which if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't, welcome, I guess. But uh, Brady has been hit with a good old 14-day contact trace. He's going to miss 14 days of practice. Doesn't matter if it's a rapid test, anything like that. Lincoln Riley will not permit him back on the podcast for 14. Is that not what's happening here? I he may break protocol if he tests negative. Let's just go ahead and say that. I am joined by that is Ryan Chapman, writer, producer for 1077 The Franchise. I can't get enough of this place, I guess. I have left and I am still here amongst everybody. Um, follow him at it's at Radio's Ryan on Twitter. Great follow. Hate to see for the. Uh, Braves can't pull out anything in the postseason. Yeah, it I mean, was it was rough. It, it uh, I just hope everyone noticed the radio silence. That uh, it, that was my Twitter morning. I was just like, it's uh, not not gonna happen. Something you should be used to, you know. It, yeah, it, I'm very used to it. Very used to it. Guys the, don't understand an infield fly rule. Yeah, oh can't get out of a first inning. <sighs> Yikes! That was what was it? Game three. I was sitting there, I'm like, oh, this is just... No, uh, it was a wild card game. The infield fly or the No, the infield fly. The long inning, I was like, uh, against the Dodgers. Game three, I was like, look, guys, we've been here before. At least it wasn't an elimination game. That is I was, true. I was that's very true. I was uh, just, I was like, am I watching? That's, that's the Dodgers, not the Cardinals, as last year. That's uh, waited all day for, I think it was a Wednesday game. Game five. Big game. It big was game. a big game. And uh, my buddy and I, we were at a Buffalo Wild Wings. We were nice and... Uh, lubricated by the end of the first inning as the Braves were already down to nothing. And we were just like, why do we even care about baseball? This is a stupid sport. Yeah. It's a, uh, 
when Brady comes back and listens to this, he's going to be pissed off that I brought up baseball immediately. But this is me driving this show today for the first time, and not Brady. So and we're baseball talking. We're is. going to we're going to go to get into that. Oklahoma currently one and two. Ryan, it's first time on the podcast. You were here last week with us. I'm sure you'll be here with us on Thursday nights from here on out. Let's just get go ahead. Your first time. Haven't heard, and you know, people that listen to this podcast haven't heard your opinion on it. Just where are you at with Oklahoma? Because you've heard me talk about where the fact that I thought the game against Texas was kind of their worst performance of the year so far, even though they came out with a win and quadruple overtime. I thought, you know, Texas was the third worst team in conference they've played so far. Um, we'll get into some big brain stat on that at the end of this podcast, but. I don't know, I, and I'm curious to hear your opinion just from the fact of I'm usually with Brady pulling him off the ledge. Right. But now people are kind of coming at me and saying, hey, you need to relax a little bit. Well, I, so obviously anytime you see this start out of an Oklahoma team, it is jarring. But I think that we shouldn't be too surprised if we go back and look at the circumstances surrounding this team and I think that once you start stacking everything on top of each other you kind of see why it's just a bridge too far when you talk about the suspensions at key positions as far as Roger Stevenson, Trajan Bridges, Ronnie Perkins okay awesome then you talk about well they're graduating a lot of senior leadership from last season on that defense Gallimore, Murray, Motley okay you talk about that oh oh, and oh by the way they're also replacing Jalen Hurts at quarterback so you're breaking in your first freshman quarterback under league. okay okay fine and then Hazelwood goes out like all of these things and that's before we get into the opt-outs Kennedy Brooks Jalen Redmond at key positions like I think it all adds up to saying I understand why there are vast swings and how this team plays because it's a young young football team and they're having to go through the most difficult preseason that anyone's really faced to get to the season so while it is jarring yes I understand that and, and the expectation is obviously national championship big 12 championship or bust around Norman like it makes a lot of sense just because I think if you take any one of those things maybe you add a Kennedy Brooks back in maybe Hazelwood doesn't get hurt any one of those things and I honestly think it, it's that close to looking at a very different season so far it is close and I will agree with Lincoln Riley in that aspect I will agree with everybody that says Oklahoma is close it is apparent on tape that Oklahoma is close. Now, I guess that's where I was at from the Texas game and from the aspect of they were, you know, you look at the Kansas State game and it was a couple coverage busts, poor offensive line play in the second half from winning that game comfortably. They're up 21 late in the game. Um, You go to the Iowa State game, Pat Fields makes a couple tackles in the backfield. Buki makes a couple tackles on Charlie Kolar and another wide receiver out in space. Anyone in the secondary can catch. Anybody can catch a football in that game. Oklahoma escapes Ames probably with a 14-21 to 21 point win. Then you go down to Texas, and I just felt as if Texas, it was more about what Texas was able to do. And I guess that's where I was at. If you heard me and you've heard me all season long, I was extremely high on Oklahoma coming after those two those two losses. I don't know where in my head. I don't know if I'm trying to be telling myself so much that Oklahoma is going to lose this game. And I was telling Sam Mays on the Sam Mays podcast on uh, yesterday morning about that, that I don't know if it's in my head that I think Oklahoma is going to lose this game, just lose this game, lose this game. I'm just continue uh, coming up, and we'll get on to my thoughts here um, later on the podcast, but that I just looked at the Texas game with more of a bias. But – 
yes, to your credit, I, I definitely the you know COVID and the impact of the young guys not getting a full training camp in the summer, missing a bunch of guys. I mean, Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks were expected to be a part of this roster. Um, you know, Jaden Hazelwood goes down in the spring. Chris Murray, it took the NCAA five games into the season or four games into the season to get his eligibility figured out. There were a lot of factors, you know, with Oklahoma this year that you have to take into account. It's just one of those weird things. I guess the offensive line and experience group's not playing well. The secondary and experience group um, didn't, was, is not performing the best. So that's really kind of where my perspective has been at for, um, you know, this, this team, this program, really the last four, f- you know, covering them now since 2017, they just haven't looked like this. And maybe right. I need to take COVID into account. Um, you know, S, you know, you look at the analytics and SP plus and all those things. The Oklahoma offense is still a top five offense in the country. It's hard to believe watching it. Um, defensively, kind of where they were at a year ago. That's very easy to see when you watch it. So it's uh, yeah, definitely an interesting you know scenario that Oklahoma's in, and they're heading now down to Fort Worth for a uh, intriguing game. And I mentioned a big brain stat a second ago. However, I want to. You know, talk about Vanessa House Beer Company one more time before we go on the rest of this podcast. Vanessa House Beer Company is celebrating their fourth anniversary on October 30th in lieu of their usual party. They're going to be releasing several near beers and a t-shirt, which will be available to go. Make sure to follow Vanessa House Beer Company on social media. I believe on Twitter, that is VHBeer. And on Instagram, just Vanessa House Beer Company. And they will have more details as the 30th of October comes up. Well, that's exciting news because all the beers that they have here, Keegan, are phenomenal. I know I've already slammed a crow's nest down. What are you enjoying right now? I have an 89 lager, and it is really, really good. And I, I was you know, talking to the, the guy behind the bar and brought up the fact that I love the yingling light lagers right. that they have east of the Mississippi. I don't know what the old words were during Prohibition. Bootlegging. There you go. There you if, go. Anybody, if anybody's bootlegging yingling back from... East of the Mississippi, hit my me uh, yes, my DMs. I will open them up to tomorrow whenever this comes out. Hit me up, and you can bring us some um, to the guy that brings. Nah, I'm kidding. I'm not going to throw my dad <laughs> under the bus. But uh, no, it's very good. Love this atmosphere. Love this place. Um, you know, got games up Thursday night. Football is about to be on. Great atmosphere. I'm sure. If it wasn't COVID, you know, looking ahead to next season, all those things with this podcast and all the things that could come with it. Um, you know, it's going to be a great place for you guys to come check out. Love the beer. Love the atmosphere. You guys come, come check out Vanessa House Beer Company. That, again, that is at 118 Northwest 8th Street here in Oklahoma City. Ryan, as I just alluded to, this is an intriguing game. Oh, from, absolutely. From the aspect of Oklahoma has blown 21-11 and 14-point leads in back-to-back-to-back weeks. The 14-point lead came in 438 against Texas in the fourth quarter. Oklahoma somehow finds a way to prevail in overtime. I don't know if we know anything about this football team, really. And now you're heading down to TCU. You're playing an experienced defense, an experienced quarterback in Max Duggan, Gary Patterson. Oklahoma blows leads. I don't know. This just has a weird feeling to it. Um, You talk about defensively and then the coordinator matchup. I just brought up Gary Patterson and Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, two of the best safeties in the country a year ago. Lincoln Riley talked about those two on sat- on Tuesday with Ardarius Washington and Trevin Morig. Uh, Morig, probably your more elite NFL prospect than 
Um, our Darius, um, our Darius is gonna the way he plays is gonna confuse some people because he is five eight and yeah. he's really good. He is really really good. Is so, that allowed? I uh, I was unaware. I I thought that anyone under six foot was just obviously a bad DB because of what we've seen. It's it's weird how all these other programs have really good defensive backs that are under six foot. I don't know. If Brady was here, he would allude that to something, but I'm not gonna go down that road. How's it going in Lubbock? <laughs> Now you're baiting me oh, into a conversation. Oh, oh really? Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to fill the Brady role properly. Here. Yes. No, you should. No, you absolutely should. Um, TCU, Gary Patterson, though, has yet to beat Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma since he's arrived in Fort Worth. I think whenever you talk about how good TCU really has been and just over time, and I know the last couple years they haven't been nearly as good, had a losing season a year ago, didn't go to a bowl game. Um, that's not what you expect out of TCU. They're one and two to start this year. They have losses to Iowa State and Kansas State, and obviously have beaten Texas, which is the same scenario Oklahoma's in, which is wild. Um, but again, this is just an intriguing matchup uh, for Oklahoma heading down there to Fort Worth this weekend. Well, and I've had a huge, obviously, a huge respect for Gary Patterson, but the thing that stands out to me, Keegan, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this, but when Oklahoma went to the Rose Bowl, trigger warning. Um, and they have the the coaches. Uh, I forget what it's even called. Where the coaches watch the game and that feed of the game. Gary Patterson was one of the coaches that was along for the the coaches cast for uh, the Rose Bowl, and it, it was mind blowing to watch Gary Patterson call go, out plays. go back and call out the exact play as it was happening. And then I flip back and realize Lincoln Riley uh, whipped that defense twice mm-hmm. that season when Gary Patterson's on the sideline going, "This is this play." This is that play. This is what's happening here, which just kind of shows you that uh, it's two high-level guys going at it, and you know the offense is just going to have the advantage of knowing what's coming. But whoever can execute better, Oklahoma has definitely got the better of that. But I've always just, you know, from that moment on, just been like, I always respected Gary Patterson. But the fact that he can stand there and do that while everyone else in the country feels like they're reeling whenever they go up against Lincoln Riley, and the fact that he is yet to beat him. That just shows you what level this offense has played at since Lincoln Riley's been in town. I'm glad you brought up that because I've gone and watched that coaches show on the for the 2017 Rose Bowl, and the, just I've gone back and watched it just to see what those guys are saying and this and that, and it always amazed me that Gary Patterson was just blown away by what Lincoln Riley was able to do, and he at the time he was 31 or he had just been hired as Oklahoma's head coach, and he was what 34. Three or thirty-four, I believe, right. or something. Thirty-four, I thirty-four, think. yeah. And it's wild, um, just the fact of the matter of Gary Patterson's respect for a guy that really hasn't, when you think about it, hasn't been doing it all that long. And right. so it's 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 good to see coaches that are able to do that. You heard Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley talk about their respect for Gary um, this week. You go back to Alex Grinch's days at Wyoming, studied Gary Patterson's defense um, when. They were all together in the Mountain West Conference. It's inter- it's uh, I think there is definitely respect across both sides here, but this is something a lot of people, if you've followed me for a while, you've heard me say this ago. If you listened to the podcast on the Prairie a year ago, um, you heard me say this. I love the fact that Gary Patterson's he's a he's an asshole. <laughs> I love it. The fact you know you look at Tom you know and there's a lot of backstories to. Gary Patterson, Tom Herman's relationships. I've got plenty of funny recruiting negativity from both sides to, right. to talk about, but this is just seeing Gary Patterson coach on Saturdays, the way he has that towel around his 
shoulder, the way he has to change shirts at halftime. The way he hate adjusts his Rose Bowl ring every time something goes just somewhat poorly. It's just all – it's the Gary Patterson experience, and they make sure – and that's another thing, too. I don't know it's with ESPN this week what that will be like, but they always tend to get Gary – on the po- on the broadcast at the right time. Oh Whether yes, he has just a massive sweat under his chest area, armpits, um, you know, yelling at somebody, not wearing his mask during the pandemic. I mean, they they always nail the head, and it's always fun to see what his um, emotions and antics are like. Unlike what we saw from Tom Herman down at the uh, Cotton Bowl, because that guy looked like a lost puppy on the sidelines and you guys have, I, I've already gone on one Tom Herman rant before. I'm not going to let you guys go through that again. Uh, Oklahoma again, heading into this game one and two as well with losses to Iowa state and Kansas state. And we had just tweeted out before we got going. This is probably the craziest thing that I, there's a lot of crazy things in 2020 in terms of football and stats. This is up there with one of the crazier ones besides Oklahoma losing back to back regular season games. since 99. Oklahoma and TCU have lost to the same teams, Iowa State and Kansas State. Oklahoma lost by seven to Iowa State and to by three to Kansas State, and it was vice versa for both. But they both lost by a combined ten points. Right. And then they've both beaten Texas. Is this just one of those weird scheduling things that we'll look at? Because the Big 12 basically said we're going to have this crop of teams play three games, go on a bye week, whatever, the other group. I, I just I don't think I've ever seen this where the point differential – is exactly the same, and the narratives around the two programs are just completely different, I feel like, for two teams that, for as far as their results, pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. And from an analytical perspective, like, not even in the realm of conversation of each other. Right. Like, and even when you watch them, like, I, you know, for the most part, you'll hear, guys will hear my thoughts, you know, on TCU throughout at the end, but they really haven't looked the, like the same team either. So it's... It's definitely uh, – it's it's just a weird – and like you said, it's maybe just one of those scheduling things that right. happens because it's 2020 and all weird things. But um, heading into this game, Oklahoma's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, saw a stat from the Bear earlier today that Oklahoma's – actually, he had a wrong. He had 7-0-1 as seven-point favorites or less. Oklahoma actually opened up in 2018 against Texas as a seven-point favorite, so that should have been included. Um, Oklahoma 6-1-1 one one against the spread in their last eight games as seven-point favorites or less. What, what, do you, what do you make of that? Oklahoma well, is, That doesn't mean Oklahoma's good in big games? Oh, I, I just think it's a testament to the fact that this team has been really good the last three or four years in close games. And that's what the narrative around this team this season, that's where it's gone south is that in these close games, obviously they found a way to, you know, for lack of a better term, to choke off two of them basically because uh, they were unable to finish against Kansas State, unable to tackle Deuce Vaughn, not able to get it done in Ames. And so I think that it's more of a testament to how good Oklahoma has been in those close games because they've played a hell of a lot of close games since Lincoln Riley took over and they've been on the winning end of most of them. So it, it makes a lot of sense. Cause I bet if you look at the other statistic of, uh, you know, 10 points or more, I bet that they haven't covered a ton of those in conference cause they just are playing a ton of close games. On the flip side, if I add a half a point to that, Ryan, and this is one you haven't seen, if you Oklahoma as a seven and a half point favorites or less in their last five games are two two and one. Well, there you go. You, you add the last five games. That's it's just you throw in the recency of the, that's what's so weird about this year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Is that Sooners just unable to get it done in those closer games, and so it 
it just it's hard to put a finger on. It's one of those things where you wonder if maybe not having a Baker Mayfield or a Kyler Murray, you know, that caliber of guy playing consistently down the stretch, like you're just not going to win as many of those big games. And then I'm going to throw this stat out to you before we get take too deep of a dive into this game. I tweeted this out earlier. Oklahoma, since the beginning of the 2019 season, has turned the football over 28 times in 18 games. They, that's good for 1.56 turnovers a game. So they're turning the football over twice a game in their last 18 games, more than one time a game, which is obviously more than zero times a game, which is a troubling stat. But let's just go more recent. You go since the Texas game a year ago, where Oklahoma, I believe, had two turnovers, a pick, or two two picks. Jalen Hurts throw two in that game. Not 100% sure. Um, but since that game, Oklahoma has turned the football over 24 times in their last 13 games. That's good for 1.85 turnovers a game. That is almost literally twice. They're turning the football over twice a game. Now, go back, and you want to go back way back. Lincoln Riley in his first two years at Oklahoma in 2015 and 16. Oklahoma has turned the football over 35 times in 26 games during then. That was for 1.34. From the entirety before 2019 started, Ryan, from 2015 to 2018, Oklahoma only turned the football over 61 times in 54 games. That's almost for only one a game. They've almost doubled that in a year, that, that average. That's alarming. Well... Do we want to go down the rabbit hole of? Uh, oh, you know I'm willing to do that, uh, but let's. I I think for our listeners and the people that subscribe to this podcast, we don't need to go too deep dive into that to well, the reasoning. Yeah, we'll just go uh, because the because the newborn king hasn't been all that great protecting the football either. It's a uh, freshman year Spencer Rattler plus Jalen Hurts versus Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Two of those guys walked away with Heisman trophies. The other one was the token runner-up because no one else really was in the running. It's, there you have it. Yeah, no, absolutely. But still, it's 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 a weird problem to have because you just you look at the fact of Lincoln in this offense and how efficient they've been. And I think more than explosive, they've been efficient. Right. And you're giving the – I mean, you're basically burying yourself as an offense to have to be perfect. Well, and Week I don't, in and week out. I don't think this season, too, like Spencer Rattler has been responsible for a lot of them, yes, but we talk about – you know, I know that we've kind of had a conversation about Trey Sermon off um, podcast, and Kennedy Brooks obviously opted out, but those two guys aren't there anymore. What was a huge play against Kansas State? Seth McGowan gets popped and, and puts the ball on the ground. Similarly, um, Tanner Mordecai comes in, and the offense is zooming against Texas in that second quarter. I don't know how sustainable that's going to be, but we'll never know because what happened, the drive stalls when T.J. Pleasure is, gets run down from behind, is unable to hold on to the football. So that's just something that not only do you have – different um, quarterback play, which, you know, say what you want about Jalen Hurts. He did not take care of the football as well as Murray or Mayfield. Spencer Rattler hasn't shown he can do that thus far. Also, the running backs, not as consistent this season, and they've laid the ball on the ground. Like, I can't remember two fumbles from Brooks or Sermon. I, I, I know Ryan does not subscribe to the Patreon, and I will – False! Do you? I was the first patron that's not in Brady's family. Okay. Ryan Chapman is a loyal subscriber to the Patreon and watches my film reviews. Loyal and true. Was uh, that, well, we're not allowed to say that. Oops. No, that's, that's fine. Oklahoma State's a really good football team this year. We're going we're gonna to be talking about them here a little bit at the end um, in the Iowa State game. But, you know, I, you know, I was going to bring up the fact of you brought up the Pledger fumble. If you remember the play I pointed out the, on the, when he fumbled, Tyrese Robinson just gets beat by a guy he should have no problem beating in Taquan Graham. Right. And if he doesn't – Taquan Graham makes the play go out wider. If that doesn't happen, 
I mean, Pledger's probably, that's a house call. Yeah, for sure. So, again, that is, you can go and check the film review stuff out and as well as the post game and Brady's, whatever goes on inside Brady Phantom's <laughs> crazy head um, prior to OU games. I think, it, I think we shouldn't knock it. It seems to be therapeutic for the potentially schizophrenic Trantham. I don't know. I, <laughs> the, the homie and his OU fandom is goes beyond worlds, in my opinion. And they, it has. I've brought him off the ledge, as you have learned over the last right. couple years. Um, but again, you can go subscribe to the Inside OU um, podcast post game. Uh, my film review stuff I, I brought from Twitter over to the Patreon. Um, as you know, what people say: if don't if you're good at something, don't do it for free. So thank you guys to that have already subscribed. So what I'm learning is I'm just not good at anything because I do a lot of things for free is the problem. That's above my pay grade <laughs> that's to, more in- to answer that question. That's more introspective than you signed up for you, this. That is, yeah, I did not expect to have to vouch for a payment uh, for Ryan Chavon's <laughs> podcast uh, to people that will listen. However, again, that's uh, inside, that is patreon.com slash inside underscore OU. You can go subscribe there. You can get my film reviews as well as the post-game pod between Brady and I that is unfiltered um, and all sorts of craziness. If you listened to the Iowa State one, I went unfiltered, yes. especially in that one. It was uh, it was jarring, honestly, because I've, I've come to expect more even-keel, level-headed uh, Keegan. And then the Iowa State post-game came in, and I was like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh, everyone panic. Everybody you gotta pay. hold this. You gotta hold this program accountable. No, yeah, I, I think it's something that uh, this program has been dealt a lot of passes over the last two or three years, and that time's about to come up. Mm-hmm. It is. It has for sure. Um, I brought up that play, and you brought up the pleasure fumble, and I'm glad you did because this is a great segue. Chris Murray transfer from UCLA returns this week. What do you expect to see this week from Chris Murray from what you've heard from the players and coaches so far? So I, I really expect, and this kind of just falls back on the really in-depth analysis that you did a lot of finishing in the second level like I, I this is what this offensive line has lacked we know that what we expect generally from a bill beanbow offensive line is that they're athletic but they can get up field and just start crucifying linebackers and, and things like that and we just haven't seen that this offensive line almost looks I, I don't know if it's sluggish or unsure of themselves once they get to that next level but I just have not been impressed with how they've finished things off and and for an inexperienced backfield you would say, wow, you wish that you could run behind a typical Bill Beanbow offensive line that's just opening up gaping holes and making it very easy on them. That hasn't happened this year. So I expect Chris Murray to help out the run game a lot, especially what I expect to be um, a big day from the OU backs because this is essentially a tryout for someone's getting their, their carries cut after this week, and uh, you got to put on tape why you, sh- why you shouldn't be that person. Seth McGowan uh, expected to return this week for Oklahoma as well. Um, missed the Texas game from, I guess I'm comfortable in saying this, a concussion. Uh, he was in protocol. You guys heard me on Tuesday. Said that he was actually cleared to play on Saturday. However, he did not. He did not go through practice last week. He is back. Uh, I'm expecting to see a lot of him on Saturday. Less of Marcus Major. Obviously had the touchdown run, but there's a little different gear that Seth McGowan brings to the table for Oklahoma. Now you're heading down to Fort Worth. Again, I, I pointed out earlier, they have an experienced defense. Garrett Wallow at linebacker hasn't been the best, um, his best this season. Um, you know, I don't think he's been put in great positions right. to be successful. He's been having to take on a lot of blocks. Um, point out a couple guys here. Corey Bethley, for you guys that follow recruiting, will know that Oklahoma, that was the guy Oklahoma was after, the 2017 recruiting class. 
and then you mentioned I mentioned the two safeties. Um, number twenty, I don't I don't know um, his, I don't know his name off the top of my head right now. He pops up a lot on tape. Um, I think that this is a guy that whenever you talk about you know TCU and random guys that go there as unknown players and then just end up being really good in a Gary Patterson defense. That's one of them. Uh, Lekendrick Van Zant. Van Zant. He had a really good game against Kansas State. Um, I was impressed with him. And then on, on, on the outside, I, you know, I, we've talked about corners and the secondary. This is an elite secondary. This isn't just a secondary we're talking about in the Big 12 that is a top of the top of the Big 12. This is probably one of the best secondaries in the country. You go to Pro Football Focus, Noah Daniels, as well as LaDainian Tomlinson's, I believe, nephew, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, really freaking good players. I mean, all across the board in that secondary, they're really, really good. Um, run a 4-2-5. Oklahoma's obviously had success running the football a year ago. I know a lot of people talk about that. They only averaged – I know I pulled this up earlier. I don't remember how many carries they had. They did rush for over 300 yards, which by no no means am I discounting the fact. Right. They did carry the football like uh, 35, 40 times well, this or 50 times against – This offense uh, wishes, it goes, wishes it could go for 300 yards this year on the ground. I, uh, that's that's a very good point. Absol- yeah, absolutely. And So, you know, you look at this matchup – and for me, you know, some of the keys to Oklahoma winning this football game, and this is kind of my four questions that I have. And you talk about the the game itself, Gary Patterson, Lincoln Riley. Um, however, like my four questions, and you'll, I think you'll understand what I'm saying here. Can Spencer Rattler play a turnover-free football game? Right. Can Oklahoma run the football without getting two tight ends on the line of scrimmage? Because I think that's really limited Oklahoma's vertical passing game. For sure. The explosiveness of the offense just isn't there because they can't get three wide receivers on the field without – they can't run the football without it. I mean, they got to get two H-backs on the field. Um, they got to get them inside the box to be able to run the football. Well, I think that Sooner fans have to look no further than their neighbors up north in Stillwater to see what, what the impact of having to have – those H-backs on, on the offensive line has done because that's been, I think, a huge criticism of Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy's offense when they've had a uh, – oh, my gosh, Mason Rudolph. When they've had Mason Rudolph and you say, why is this offense not more explosive? Well, the shortcomings of the offensive line mean that they have to bring those Cowboy backs in, and because of that, it just limits what they can do creatively in the passing game. That's what's going to – that's what we've seen so far out of Lincoln Riley if they want to run the ball effectively, and that's just not what you normally – associate an Oklahoma offensive line with. You don't associate them with having to need a little bit of extra help here and there, which which kind of condenses the playbook almost. So it's And it's also one of those things that you're telling me, I'd rather have Jeremiah Hall and Austin Stogner attacking these linebackers over the middle than I'd rather have them chipping people off the side and, and having to play catch up here. Yeah, a week ago, um, obviously Austin Stogner is cleared to play this week. Um, if anybody reads between the lines on what I said on Tuesday, will understand what I'm saying when I say that. Um, so he's back, but he, you know, he did struggle in the second half um, against Texas, blocking Joseph Osai. Didn't like the fact that Oklahoma kept getting Stogner lined up against him. I don't know if Texas was just doing that, um, but again, I, I, it, it just it points to the fact that Oklahoma has not been able to run the football without having two tight ends on the line of scrimmage, and that is a, a major question hanging this week. I mean, because they weren't able to run the football against Kansas State that well. They weren't able to run the football against Missouri State that well. So. No, you're talking about an offense that 
you, they need explosiveness to be really good. And against Texas, they didn't attack vertically at all for a reason. Um, and that's, you know, Texas could have played it. They play typically play a high safety the most of the game. Um, I don't know if, you know, looking back, we don't have the all 22 because college football is stupid and they don't hand out the all 22 <laughs> like the NFL does. But, you know, you talk about this matchup, it's just, you know, and the offensively, those are my two huge questions. Um, because if, if, if TCU gets opportunities, TCU's Max Duggan will fool around and go score a touchdown. I right. Mean, they have really good skill players. You know, we put out something today about how good the TCU skill players have been this year uh, on Sooners Wire. You can go check that out on SoonersWire.com. They just – it's just – I don't know. And, and then you talk about the offensively and their scheme. You know, Oklahoma has struggled predominantly with Alex Grinch whenever a team spreads you out. They go four wide. They go empty a lot. And they dink and dunk. They can attack deep out of it. Or the quarterback can run. And, again, now you're looking defensively. Those are my, my two huge questions. I think one of them can happen. It's can Oklahoma play press man coverage and not get beat deep because TCU is going to throw underneath a lot this week. Um, they, they, they're going to have success doing that. And Oklahoma wants to get up in your face. They want to play man coverage. They want to play cover one. They want to keep a safety over the top. And then my other question, and this is the one I'm a lot less confident in, when Max Duggan gets loose, who's going to tackle him? Right. Because Deshaun White got juked out a couple times. Brian Asamoah can get out of control. Um, these safeties haven't tackled well when they've come up to the, come make a tackle up, uh, up against a running back or a quarterback. So, three of those four questions I just asked you, I don't know if I don't know if I have an answer for you. Uh, can Spencer Rattler not turn the football over? Can Oklahoma run without having two tides on the line of scrimmage? Can the DBs play press man and not get beat deep? And can Oklahoma tackle Max Duggan when he gets loose? I'm only confident in one of those things, and that's a con- that is a huge concern for me. Right, and this is what killed Oklahoma against Kansas State is their inability to once Kansas State moved to that dink and dunk to basically just tackle Deuce Vaughn in the open field. And so you're saying you have those concerns about Duggan. I have those concerns about a Tate Barber. Honestly, I, like I don't I don't know if it's not. God, if it's not Jaden Davis going at people's knees, like I'm not confident really in anyone as a sure tackler back there um, coming across the field. And with, look, going back specifically to that Iowa State game, look, TCU has problems at left tackle, absolute problems. And, and to me, that says, okay, sure, OU's going to try to exploit that, but it says even more that they're, that TCU's going to pull on that film of Kansas State the second half and go, oh, well, we just got the ball out quickly and they couldn't bring down Deuce Vaughn in space. We feel like we've got three or four playmakers on the outside that have that kind of speed and shiftiness. Why don't we just say, screw offensive line play. Let's just go to the short passing game and let our playmakers make plays in space because this Oklahoma defense has not proved that they're 100% of the time going to be sure tacklers against uh, some smaller guys that can move out in the open field. Absolutely. And it's, you know, one of those things this week, and you mentioned, you know, Tay Barber, They've got a, a handful of other guys as well, and I'm about to pull them up. They've got Cartwright and uh, is it Robertson? I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I have our graphics that Stephen Plasance has put up for us. Um, Johnson, sorry. Pulled up in front of me. Yeah, Quinn Johnson, a, a people that follow recruiting will know that name. Um, big-time guy out of the state of Texas last year. Um, Pro Wells has been really good for them. Uh, Conright and Artavius Lynn. And then you look at the running backs. I, I, I think Darwin Barlow is probably one of the more underrated running backs, not just in the Big 12, but in the country. Right. Um, funny enough, I got a quick little story on that. I had a, a buddy his, from Cashin, actually, his dad, old high school coach, coach out in the Panhandle of Texas. I don't know where Barlow um, is from off the top of my head, 
but I believe it's a smaller school in the state of Texas. Well, his junior year, my buddy, who knows I covered OU football, he texted me and goes, hey, you need to have Oklahoma check out this Darwin Barlow kid because he's really good. And, you know, he plays for my dad and this and that. And I was like, okay, I'll go check him out. So check him out. I was like, okay. Like, he's all right. And right. then his senior year tape comes up. And I was like, holy smokes, this kid can go. Ends up going to TCU. Really good player. I believe they had two kids go to TCU or two or three from the same high school, uh, from the same graduating class as well. Um, I think one of them is no longer with the program for uh, discipline, disciplinary reasons of some sorts. Look, it's it's TCU. You're going to have one or two of those for whatever reason. It seems like they always have one or two of those crop up. Yeah, TCU's a discipline problem. It, and, and then it, they decide to take on Zach Evans and Marcel Brooks, which is yeah. a great story. Marcel Brooks no longer with the TCU football program. I, I think that's out there. I hope I didn't just say that and, Oops. and hurt somebody, but... Um, I don't think he's no longer. I think I don't <laughs> think he's with TCU anymore. Um, and then, so uh, you know, just start kind of wrapping this up. Um, Brady, who is obviously in, I don't know what phase we say he's in with COVID nineteen and all those things. He's okay. He's fine. He's um, he's, he's in sit and wait mode. He's yeah, waiting on results. I believe he is getting tested tomorrow um, to make sure he's negative. And if that's the case, then we will be good to go Saturday for post game and next week. Um, but I did hit up Brady before we got going. Um, something that he's really looking forward to in this game, the running game. Can it continue what it did against Texas? We've already talked about this. Oklahoma's only successful running only success run the football was really out of two tight ends, this and that. Brady, though, says TCU sucks against the run, so Oklahoma should have a field day running the football on Saturday, and they should get it going. He, though, has TCU winning this football game 38-31. to Interesting. Uh, and typically on the Thursday podcast, we get into the three things that are three players or three things I'm, I'm going to be watching for. Number one, Lincoln Riley. That fourth quarter leaves me a lot to be desired about. His play calling, decision, um, time management's been an issue since he's kind of taken over as a head coach in 2017. He's got to be better on Saturday um, to help Spencer Rattler out, to help this offense out, to help this team out. And he just wasn't very good down there at the Cotton Bowl. You think Lincoln's negotiated with the Big 12 to get those 39 seconds back in this one? Fourth quarter in this game, he can just cash it in. Hey, we would like those 39 seconds wound off the clock. Please and thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, there's got to be something said about that uh, heading up into this game. I wonder what he said. He, he was having a conversation later in the week, right? We haven't actually asked him right. what that conversation was like with, uh, I don't know, Burr. I don't, I don't remember the yet. Big 12 official, the liaison anymore. Uh, got some more people coming in here. At Vanessa House, um, we'll pump them up one more time here in a second. Um, you know, second thing I'm going to be watching for Spencer Rattler, I just talked about this, um, had a huge bounce back in the overtime. However, the people that are subscribed the, to the Patreon knows that a lot of what he did in the second half when he was successful really wasn't what he was supposed to do. But I think there is some credence to be said about the fact that, you know, he said this week, I needed to get the ball to 10 more. I needed to get the ball to 10 more. I think whenever a guy understands who his best players are and can get the football to them, I think that says a lot about understanding where he, he's coming from. And then, um, you know, this week, though, I mean, I said on Tuesday, you don't think Gary Patterson's going to be dropping a bunch of guys into coverage off the line of scrimmage? You, think, you don't think he's going to be doing a bunch of different, you know, buzz zones, cloud coverage, a bunch of different weird coverages in the secondary to get Oklahoma mixed up? He's absolutely going to do that. Spencer's going to have to be excellent on Saturday. I said this on Tuesday. Iowa State and Kansas State, I didn't think – or Texas to that extent. I didn't think he had to play his best game for Oklahoma to win. Against Obviously, he hasn't played his best game yet at Oklahoma. 
Um, Disrespect to the Missouri State performance. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, uh, but he hasn't played his best game yet. He's going to have to be excellent on Saturday for Oklahoma to win this game. Well, and this is a TCU defense that the weird thing about them has been for 80% of the time you go, yes, this is a well-coached Gary Patterson defense. What's really killed them this season, I feel like, has been just the big play coming out of nowhere. And I think that that's really interesting because Spencer Rattler did, you know, pull it out in that in the overtime periods there in the Cotton Bowl, but he's going to have to be in command of this offense and play under control to get to those moments where he can take advantage of maybe the one mistake that the TCU secondary puts out or things like that. And we haven't seen that out of him thus far. It was a criticism of Baker Mayfield early on in his career that he passed the football too many times looking exclusively for the big play. Spencer Rattler is going to have to be very disciplined, I feel like, and take what that TCU defense gives you because it's not a ton. And he's going to have to do that over and over and over again to keep the offense moving until they can pop off that one or two big plays that can take advantage of the uh, back end of the TCU defense. And my third player is Deshaun White. I've mentioned him before. This is a guy that hasn't played up to his standard yet here in 2020. Struggled down there at the Cotton Bowl. Missed a big tackle in the Iowa State game for a missed tackle for loss. This is a guy, you talk about containing Max Duggan. A lot of the weight's going to be on his shoulders. A lot of the weight's going to be on Brian Asamoah's shoulders and David Aguebu's shoulders to be able to get that done. Deshaun White's got to be really good on Saturday. He's going to have to be crisp. He's going to have to wrap up. He's going to not get juked out. Um... He got juked out a couple times down there at the Cotton Bowl. Um, this is a guy that's going to have to play really good. And, you know, the conversation with Alex Grinch about the, you know, guys in leadership and guys that, you know, it's a lot of, you know, talk is cheap, right? You heard Buki radley Heil say that. Well, I think that conversation was a lot about 44 and 23 and a lot less about number 10 on Oklahoma's defense. For White and Buki have been talking a lot about their leadership this year, and they've underperformed in that regard in terms of on the field. So with Deshaun, he's going to have to be at his best on Saturday defensively from the aspect of corralling Max Duggan, getting him to the ground, and not allowing him to get extra yards um, whenever there's really no reason to. I mean, Sam Ellinger picked up a, a huge, almost picked up a huge fourth and, or third and 16 goal to go because Deshaun White comes up and gets too close in a quarterback spy and gets engaged with the center. He allows a huge third down late in the game because he gets juked out by Sam Ellinger. He allows a huge first down gain because he gets juked out by, I believe, by John Robinson, a freshman running back. So, now, that guy's going to be a freak show. But, yeah. um, but my point, I think, stands, still stands of the fact that he's going to have to be really good. Oklahoma's going to be relying on him to be able to contain Max Duggan um, and in the running game, especially whenever he gets out um, in pass plays and gets out and starts making plays. We've understandably got a lot of Deshaun White this season, and Deshaun White has talked a lot about consistency, finishing, consistency, finishing. Like you said, I, I think he's kind of projecting what he needs to do here. He's the guy that needs to show that he can put that consistency out there, play to play, first quarter to fourth quarter. He's the guy that needs to show he can finish because, like you said, as the game wears on, he makes more and more mental mistakes, which end up costing this defense. And, and frankly, this defense isn't good enough right now to allow that to happen over and over again. So he's going to have to be a big guy. And then, like I said earlier, I really am looking at just the tackling in the secondary. I know that we're tired of talking about tackling with this team already, but it could get really ugly really quickly if if the yips start to get into this team and they can't bring guys down in the open field. Absolutely. And, again, we are here where we're, typically, we're going to be at every Thursday at 530. Vanessa House Beer Company here in Oklahoma City. 
Um, again, Vanessa House is going to be celebrating their fourth anniversary on October 30th in lieu of their usual party. They're going to be releasing several new beers and a T-shirt, which will be available to go. Make sure to stay tuned to their social media for details. I believe that's VH Beer on Twitter and then Vanessa House Beer Company on Instagram. Great atmosphere. I love. I. I. I it's only th- it's a Thursday night. I mean. Again, this is COVID. It's pandemic. I guarantee you this place would be a little more packed. I think they have like a singo, bingo kind of deal going on tonight. Yep. Um, a lot more people that are in here right now. I believe Ryan's not as much through his second beer as I am. Um, what are you drinking? I am drinking the Black is Beautiful Stout to follow up the Crow's Nest. Very, very big on the dark beers over here. But, but like you said, Eileen, the dark beer, you've got something a lot different that's just as good. I do. I love I, – I, I'm definitely a – Whenever I go get something, I go get a Coors Light or I go get a you know light beer, Miller Light, because right. I'm basic like that. And happens. Yeah, it's okay. You, you, but put, I'm you put on Taylor Swift, you put on the Chainsmokers, and you, and you bust out your Coors Light. I am a big Chainsmokers guy. Oh, same. Chain, Let's go. Love the Chainsmokers. Um, but I'm drinking the 89 Lager. I love it. Um, reminds me a lot of Yingling, um, a Yingling Light that you can get east of the Mississippi. Come check out Vanessa, Vanessa House Beer Company located here at 118 Northwest 8th Street here in Oklahoma City. Ryan, final thoughts on the TCU game? Look, uh, despite everything we've put out there, I really feel like uh, as poor as the Sooners finished in that fourth quarter in the Cotton Bowl, I think it was a big moment for them because we've talked about how young this team is. I really feel like if the Sooners can get to that fourth quarter, I feel like they'll be able to close this one out, which I know is controversial considering they have not shown us anything else to say the otherwise. But I think it was a big growing moment that they can go out there and basically lay an egg at the back end of the third quarter and in the fourth quarter in the Cotton Bowl, still come out with a win and get that finally moment. But like I've kind of said, you got to go out and see them do it this week to say that they're a changed team. Otherwise, it's just you know the aberration. Analytically, on Sooners Wire, we have this is Oklahoma's toughest remaining game on the schedule, and which includes a Bedlam game at home against a right now top ten opponent in Oklahoma State. This is, a, as I've said all along, this is an intriguing game. I think there's a lot of an- questions heading into this game for Oklahoma that we're going to have to have answers for, and if Oklahoma doesn't have the answers for it, they're going to they're going to end up losing this football game. Again, you know, can Spencer Rattler play a turnover free football game? Can Oklahoma's defense contain Max Duggan whenever he gets loose. Can those, if those things happen, Oklahoma's going to escape this thing with a win, and may not just escape with it. I think they're going to be able to be able to win this game handily. The running, you want to see the running game get going. I want to see a lot of Chris Murray on Saturday, um, in some capacity, whether it's you know three drives, two you know two drives, three drives, four drives. I still want to see a lot of them. I think he's the future for Oklahoma at right guard for anybody that follows me. Um, I, I think he's a big time, big time player. Getting inserted in the starting offensive line. Uh, he's got a chance to be a, a special player. I think he's a high-caliber NFL talent. Um, so I want to see a lot of him. Again, defensively, they're going to have to be really good. I mean, TCU is going to spread them out. It's a system that's really hurt Oklahoma in the past. Um, it's, you know, specifically looking at the LSU game, Iowa State game a year ago. Um, Tom Herman, I guess, didn't get that message two weeks ago. Well, he's in Mensa. He, he just has a better yeah, plan he does than the rest know, of yeah, you. Yeah, you're right. He knows, but he knows better than he, we do. He just do. knows better, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah he, that, guy's a, that, look, guy's, that guy's a loser. But Look, like we've come to find out in Austin the last couple of weeks, the eyes of Texas not upon uh, the LSU tape or the Iowa State tape. That's a sensitive subject, and I will move on from there. <laughs> um, again, I, uh, this is just an intriguing matchup for Oklahoma, I think. With Gary Patterson not being able to beat Lincoln Riley, all good things must come to an end. So, Ryan, let's hear, get, let's hear your score prediction. I've got 38-28. I, I think the Sooners will be able to wrap it up and get out of there with a win. 
And I have TCU like Brady. This is, I believe, the first time I have picked Oklahoma to lose a football game. Man, I want to go back all the way to 2016 Ohio State. It, I don't think I've picked Oklahoma to lose a game just based off tape, based off what I know, right. based off this, based off that, based off analytics. I don't think I've picked Oklahoma to actually straight up lose a football game. I am picking them to lose on Saturday to TCU, 31-30. to 30. I think it's going to be close. Fun. It's, it's going to be a close one. I, I think you know Max Duggan's going to be able to complete a couple passes. A couple guys going to get beat deep. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think Oklahoma can contain him in the running and whenever he gets loose. And then you talk about Spencer. I don't think he could play a turnover-free football game right now, and that's the growing pains. I'm not saying again. You heard me say on Tuesday. I think when you talk about Spencer, he is he is on that great elite level, and he's on the cusp of becoming the best quarterback in college football. But he's not there yet, and he's got to have these growing pains. He's got to go through it. We'll see how he comes after a bye week. Oklahoma grew up a lot in overtime, but you can't disregard the first four quarters of that game uh, from the offensive line perspective in the first half to the defensive uh, defense in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Again, I thought Texas did a lot of what they were on, what they were in able to do and execute was the reason why Oklahoma had a lot of success down there at the Cotton Bowl. Um, you know, something we didn't talk about, but I do want to mention here before we get off, Oklahoma's defensive line could have a huge impact in this football game. Um, I don't think we talked about TCU's offensive line enough, and that's on me. Um, I thought they played better against Kansas State. Um, I thought they played much better against Kansas State. Pro football focus says the same. Um, analytics say the same as well. I, so I, I think that, that you know, they're going to have a big impact on the game. I don't think it's going to matter that much because TC is going to get rid of the football very quickly. Right. And that's why I really didn't focus on much of what the defensive line is going to do. Nick Benino's turning into a star before our eyes. Joshua Ellison's been a, a nice surprise for Oklahoma. Um, Isaiah Thomas has been an unbelievable surprise for Oklahoma. However, I don't think they're going to they're gonna have a big impact. I don't think it's the biggest in this game because of what TC is going to do offensively. Again, I have TCU 31-30. This is the Inside OU Podcast. That's Ryan Chapman. I'm almost two beers deep. He's almost two beers deep. Great beer here at Vanessa House. We'll be here on Thursdays at 5.30. Thank you guys to all for listening. And as well as you can subscribe to the Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash inside underscore OU. We'll see you guys next time.